case we haven't met, I'm Dino Colombo. I represent people hurt by a truck. It's what we do every day. I've seen truck accidents devastate families, but we can help. Hurt by a truck? Call Colombo Law. Captera? The following program is sponsored by Reaching Hearts Ministries. Thanks for tuning in today to Reaching Your Heart. We are up to a message, actually the conclusion of a message entitled, Elijah and the End. And now we hope that you enjoy today's broadcast. Don't forget, you can always go to reachingyourheart.com. If you miss any of these messages, they're all available for you right there on the website. You can find them under the broadcast schedule there on the main page. You can download a copy to your personal library or listen right there in on-demand audio format. Our phone number here is 877-788-5371, 877-788-5371. Feel free to call that number if you have any additional questions. Let's get underway. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Don't let your children see you becoming bitter with the Lord Jesus because it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. Parents who blame God have children who leave God. Did you hear me? And there's a corollary to that. Parents who blame the church have children who leave the church. That's why we should guard with our lips very, very closely to praise and care for the church that we belong to. For our children to see our commitments to the church by service, by our financial commitments, and by our prayers and love. I look further down, God promises that he will guard the family if they do not become embittered with the angel who guards them. That means Jesus is the key to your children's future. I mean, we don't need some church-centered future. We need a Christ-centered vision for our children and our families. Exodus 23, 25. You shall serve the Lord your God, and I will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. None shall cast her young or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. That's the kind of blessing we want for our family, for our children to live long, to be prosperous. The part I like about this blessing is God says, I'll bless your bread and water. I believe that God blesses the home, that the meals will be better in the house. Your head's going up and down. Someone said amen, but you know, we really need to say amen to that. A spiritual revival in the home will result in better cooking. You think the Lord's content that you eat Food that's just slapped together with no love and effort. God's out to bless your life. He doesn't just want you having a future. He wants you having a good future. The Gospel of John, the Apostle, identifies the angel of the covenant as the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 10, he was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home and his own people received him not. The family of Abraham was his home. And the angel of the covenant came to his home, but his family rejected him. The angel of the covenant in whom your soul delights, he will come suddenly to his temple. Malachi 3.1 John says he came to his own home and his own people received him not. When Christ comes to your home, you'd better not shut the door on him. You see, the counsel we find in the book of Malachi is divine counsel for the home. Cut off the TV Set the bad music aside. Take your Bible out and throw the bad music away and delete it from your computer. Add a few video games to the mix. Yes, I'm meddling. I'm meddling today because I know exactly what will mess it up. 
So take your Bible out and open the door that lets Jesus in. And Malachi, God says, return to me and I'll return to you. In the book of Malachi, philosophical cynics had replaced great men of faith in the pulpit. The religious leaders had become experts at creating doubt in children's minds rather than shepherds who point the way. They made the pulpit a place that challenges God instead of a place for the flock of God to be fed. They had introduced the Greek idea of futility into the faith of Israel when the faith of Israel knew it not. So we don't need that stuff from the ancient world religions and from philosophy to come into the Christian faith. We do not have a futile religion. We have a religion where God is on the pathway. There is purpose and meaning in the journey. There the angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear Him and delivers them. And on the last day, He will do the same. We do not need that principle in our dialogue as Christians. In Malachi 3.8, these false teachers were teaching people that God will not bless them if they return a faithful tithe. Cynical. As if somehow God doesn't see and doesn't care if they invest in the work of God. In Malachi 3.9, God says, test me. Put me to the test and see if faith is futile. They would even try to see if faith is fair. They reasoned within themselves faithlessness for them had become the only option in life for hirelings. So it doesn't matter. Just get what you can out of life and play the role of religion. If you want to wreck your family, sow the seed of skepticism and doubt in your relationship to God, and you will have no pathway into the future for your family. When times are hard... Complain about the Lord Jesus to your children. See if they want to stay in the church. When times are hard, blame God for the difficulties and see what happens to the faith of your children when you see them grow up. I am grateful to be in this church no matter what happens. Did you hear me? I'm grateful to be with the Lord Jesus no matter how difficult my path is. I've had some hard paths at times. Have you? Okay. Now Malachi 3.14. You have said, now God's not saying this. They have said it. You have said It is vain to serve God. What is the good of our keeping His charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? It's very clear in verse 14 that the theology that all things go good all the time is not true. They're walking in mourning at times before the Lord because times are hard. You have to humble yourself before God. Look at verse 15. Henceforth, they said, we deem the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but when they put God to the test, they escape. My mother had one of the hardest lives of any human being I've ever known. And I am confident that it was right up there on the list of what it means to have a hard life. She was mentally ill with schizophrenia. She was poor, dirt poor. She was betrayed by my father who left her for another woman he thought was prettier. My mom was the prettier of the two. She was pretty inside. She was burdened by health challenges. And she wore her hands thin in a furniture factory trying to survive sanding furniture. But I never saw my mother turn on God and blame Him for a bad life. If anyone I know on earth had a reason to do it, my mother had a reason. My mother was grateful to God for the life He gave to her. I would hear her often thanking the Lord Jesus. When she prayed, she didn't pray in thy name, in God's name. She said in Jesus' name. I know the great God of the universe heard her prayers, that Christ was with her. The older she got, the more thankful she got until God took her mental illness away from her. He gave her a permanent smile on her face for 10 years before she died. 
In Malachi's day, the arrogant became the heroes in the land. Self-made men. You know what I don't like about this self-made talk? Personal power talk. It's arrogant, according to the Bible. The only one who can direct your path is God. The only one who can give you a future is the Lord Jesus. And so arrogance, if it finds a place in the character, results in a rebel. Self-made men who didn't desire God's power replaced the memories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who walked with God, who followed Him, who allowed the angel of the Lord to work in their life. It's futile talk. They said, henceforth we deem the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, when they put God to the test, they escape. And that's another way of saying it doesn't pay to be a Christian. It doesn't pay to pursue a godly life. I can't get enough goodies now to make it worthwhile for the trouble I have to put up with. I'll tell you something. If you find someone in life who loves you, you're rich. Did you hear me? You know who loves you? The Lord Jesus. Christ went to hell for you at the cross of Calvary. I mean, if you don't have Him and you end up in the lake of fire... That's what he was doing at Calvary for you. Worse than any lake of fire for anyone is what Jesus went through for you so the justice of God would be satisfied and no evil angel or no devil in his imps could claim that God does not have a right to justify you, to raise you from the dead and to place you with the family of angels for eternity. God loves you. And in the course of life, dear heart, the person that you must cling to, if no one else is with you, is the one who loves you the most. And your life may be hard or it may be good from the perspective of the world. If you have Jesus, it's sweet because it's meaningful. So there's no such thing as religion or faith or church without the Lord Jesus. It's one thing for an unbeliever to speak skepticism. And the clergy, the church, teach it as practical truth. And the leaders in the church teach their children to believe it. Then God's curse is coming sooner or later on them all. That's what Malachi says. God may be patient, but God is not mocked. But nevertheless, the patience of God is the key truth with God. He puts up with a lot of stuff as our Father. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. That's mercy, isn't it? God is saying, you may deserve it, but I'm not giving you what you deserve. I am patient with you. I care about you. I want you to come home to God to know the family of God. What a man or woman sows, that is exactly what they will reap in life. Friend, our God is a God of mercy, and our Father waits for His children who have gone wrong to come home to Him. The church should be a place of mercy too, right? The corollary is, if our Father God is merciful, the family should be merciful. But one day the waiting will be over because some will never come home and then the end will come. Malachi 3.16 Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord heeded and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and thought on his name. Verse 17 They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, my special possession on that day when I act and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. What Malachi is saying is, yes, it may be rough in life, but there's a day in which God will settle the score. You may have had people really go after you. 
You have been patient with them. One day, God will draw the line and separate the crowd so that those who are with God can be seen as such and those who are at war with Him will be seen for who they are. The Bible says in verse 6 that a book of remembrance was written for those who think on His name. God's name and God's law in the Bible are the same thing. I mean, it amazes me when I hear in the evangelical Christian world today, they say the law of God's done away with. In the Old Testament, the law of God is the name of God. It's like erasing His name from the universe. But the deepest principle in the law, which James tells us is the law of mercy, brings us to Jesus. Why? Because God's name is in the angel of the covenant. The God of Mount Sinai, they sent that angel with his name in him. That being is not a created being. That being is the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus, who took the form of the angel of the Lord at Mount Sinai. God's name, his law, is in Jesus. And the God who thundered the law at Sinai is the God who paid for the law's transgression at Calvary. Mount Sinai, Mount Calvary. Christ is the angel of the Lord who has the very name of the Lord within him. He is eternal God with God's character deep inside his heart. The very first time when men begin to call on the name of the Lord, a book appears in the Bible. It's a book of remembrance. Malachi is not dreaming this up. He's referring back to the book of Genesis. The long genealogy of Cain in Genesis 4 ends with the breakdown of the antediluvian family, polygamy, murder, atheism, hostility, and vengeance. The line of Seth introduces faith. It's the line that is not of the faithless line. It's the line that comes after Abel dies and Eve figures out that she needs the Lord instead of telling the Lord what to do. It's the line in which Adam rises as a godly father to take his rightly place as a father. The line of Seth introduces faith and the family of faith becomes the key to experiencing forgiveness in a future. Genesis 4.25, and Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another child instead of Abel, for Cain slew him. Now she does this for a very important reason. The word Seth in Hebrew is the word to put. And she's thinking of the promise when God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It's the promise that somehow he, the seed of the woman, will destroy the serpent. It's the promise of the Messiah. What she's saying here in verse 26 is, I need the Savior, the Lord Jesus, even though she doesn't know him by name. And I'm not going to rely on me anymore. I'm going to rely on him. Verse 26, to Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Enosh means literally mortal man. When you figure it out that you're going to die and that you're mortal, and you know you can't fix death, then it's the right time to call on the name of the Lord. I just had a friend call me. He says, you know, I'm thinking of the future and my spiritual condition. And I want to make it. You know, there's a reason we go through the stuff we do. We've been in eight years of struggle. And these gentlemen who have been working with us, here is one of them, seeking a pathway to God's kingdom, wanting to know whether or not the attorney who is the Lord Jesus can represent him in the judgment day. And friend, it's not about our church building, as important as that is to us. It's about the people we meet on life's road that are meant to get there, and we're meant to get there too. So we spent an hour not talking about what I was concerned about, which was our legal expenses. We spent an hour talking about his soul. 
And I hope you pray for our legal team. I'm not going to give the name, but would you put him on your prayer list? You know, the Lord knows his name, right? Joshua said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. You know, there comes a time when a father has to stand up in the family and speak for the family with the strength of faith as the family leader. In Genesis 4, Eve named Cain and Eve named Seth before Adam did anything. You read the story. That's what happened. He was afraid to lead his family with faith because he had failed. He had blown it. He didn't have spiritual sure feet. But when Enosh was born, something clicked inside his head. Perhaps that boy died because his name means mortal man. And what good is it to serve God if you're just going to die? Right? Malachi said, a book of remembrance was written before me for those who think on my name. In Genesis 4.26, the Bible says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. As soon as they realized they're mortal, that they're not going to make it, that they've got to face a judgment day, they began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the first time in the Bible is recorded that men began or people began to do that. And in the very next verse, there is a book of remembrance that appears. Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness after his image. And he named him Seth. It's very clear in Genesis 4 that Eve names him Seth. You know, Adam had lived with that, not owning anything, because he was just trying to find his sinner after losing eternity. And then receiving Jesus, obviously, to find the path. But he was a hollow man inside, afraid to lead, afraid to be the man of God God had called him to be. But finally, when Enosh was born, finally, when Seth was born, something clicked in the mind of this man when his son Seth was born, that if he didn't take the initiative, there'd be no future. Adam stepped up to the plate and he named his son the same name his wife named him. How's that? She named him Seth and he says, well, I'm going to name him Seth too. Well, that's the start of a good beginning in his life. He took ownership of his family's future and he started a trend that became a holy line of faith. It was the patriarchal line that gave us Jesus. The line of Seth that called on the name of the Lord became the holy line that gave us Noah and a new world. And Noah named his son Shem, which means in Hebrew the name. The line of Seth became the line of faith that called on the name of the Lord. Seth's family became the family that was identified by its relationship to God. They were the ones who meditated on God's name. In Genesis 6 4, they were called Ansheh Hashem, which means men of the name. In the genealogy of Cain, there is no record of life or death or even a numbering of days, just names on a page with an empty existence. The genealogy in Genesis 4 about them is just names on a page with no future in life. History has forgotten the line of Cain, and they have no future but the lake of fire. But not so with those who called upon the name of the Lord in the line of Seth. Men of the name who meditated on God's name. There's more than just a record of days and death here. The key phrase that stands out in the genealogy, this book of remembrance, is the word lived. Genesis 5, 3, when Adam had lived. Genesis 5, 6, when Seth had lived. 
Genesis 5.9, when Enosh had lived. Genesis 5.12, when Kenan had lived. Genesis 5.15, when Mahalel had lived. Genesis 5.18, when Jared had lived. Genesis 5.21, when Enoch had lived. He walked with God and God took him. Genesis 5.25, when Methuselah had lived. And Genesis 5.28, when Lamech had lived. The holy line is a line of life because they think on the name of the Lord. And Noah lived to see the end of the old world that died. And he lived to become the new Adam on the other side of the end. When Enosh was born, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Immediately in the Bible it says, and this is the book of the generations of Adam. It is the book of life, which is a book of remembrance in Genesis 5.1. As soon as someone knows they need the Lord, God has a book and their name is in it. Friend, when you call on the name of the Lord, you live your days out with the Lord. And God takes your name and He places it in His family's book. And whether you die or not, whether or not your life is hard or not, you have a future in a life. The life you lived with God here will be remembered there and you will come to life. You will survive your trouble to see Jesus raise you from the dead. You will overcome your difficulties in life with the help of the angel of the Lord who redeems you from all your trouble. And you will experience life in the journey with its ups and downs, but it trends up. And in the judgment day, the last day, God will spare you because you have become a son or daughter of God by calling on the name of the Lord. Now, when you think on his name, you care about his law. You care about his ways. You want to be like him. But more than this, he thinks about you. That's what he's saying. A book of remembrance means he thinks about you. He cares about you. And he will claim you for eternal life. And he will spare you on that day that is coming so soon. Malachi 4.1 For behold, the day comes burning like an oven. When all the arrogance and all evildoers will be stubble, the day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. There is no such thing as an eternal hell based on this verse. The fire will reduce them to dust. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in its wings. You shall go forth leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. The wicked won't even make good asphalt in that day. They won't even make good building material. You'll walk on streets of gold, and you will walk on them, and you step off the streets of gold, and your foot meets the dust that used to be them. People who surrender faith to doubt are destined for the dust. Dirt people in the making. People who hang in there and trust God to give them victories. Trust God, even if they don't have all the answers, through the stuff of life, will go forth leaping like calves in the stall. The Son of Righteousness that heals in the end, friend, is Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the angel of the covenant who is the Lord Himself who will come suddenly to His temple. And when Christ comes, death will die and evil will die with it. And eternal life will never die. And it will never end under a sun that never sets. The book of Malachi ends with a call to remember. God says He'll remember you in that great day. A book of remembrance was written for you. So what do you need to do? Malachi ends with a call for us to remember. Malachi means my angel. It is a call to remember Jesus as God's special messenger in your life. And in this call, dear heart, You remember Sinai as well because Jesus is the lawgiver. 
And God has committed all judgment to Jesus, who is the angel of the covenant given at Mount Sinai. Malachi 4.4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I have commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord that is coming. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. We are living in end-time events right now. If you're looking for end-time events, you're looking too far into the future. We are living in them. Our country is morphing. The world in which we live is changing. The knowledge of God is being banished from the laws of the land, both in Europe and in this country. And one day evil will set its sight on the people of God and the forces of evil will marshal to stamp out the people of God in a single night. It will be the darkest night in human history. Friends, Elijah has come and the end is upon us. Turn to God. Turn your heart to your father and your heart to your children. Turn to God. Hearts for the hearth and hearts for home. Let the message of the book of Malachi impact you. Elijah has come and the end is near. The deepest truth you can know in life is the truth of family. Elijah has spoken. It is not a truth. It is the truth. It is the truth that Jesus died to make live and real, to make it alive in you. That somehow a father's love is greater than a son's disobedience. That somehow God above can find a way to bring his wayward children home to him and to a family. Elijah has come and the end is upon us. Come home to God, to his family. Well, there you have it, the conclusion to Elijah and the End. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Thank you for tuning in. Our phone number here is 877-788-5371, 877-788-5371. Feel free to call that telephone number at any time. And don't forget, you can always go to reachingyourheart.com to listen to any of these messages again in on-demand audio format. They're available right under the broadcast schedule there on the main page. We appreciate you listening, and as always, we want you to know that we pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.